It is Monday, the 27th of June, 2022, episode 31 of From the Resort Podcast. My name is Tim Wilshere. I'm the networking number cruncher who podcasts people's perspectives. Uh, today I've got uh, Queens, Queenstown Lakes uh, Mayor candidate with the, the, um, with the elections in October this year, uh, Glyn Lewis. Welcome along to the podcast, Glyn, to share your story. Thank you, Tim. Good to be here. Excellent. So, Glenn, where we usually start off with these podcasts is, I guess, whereabouts were you born and where did you grow up early in, in your life? I was born in Whangarei, which is a town in the top of the North, uh, North Island, so I'm from Northland. So I grew up there in, a, uh, in and around Northland, actually, because my parents were share milkers for, until I was uh, about 10, so the 87 crash sort of stop that and yeah so I went to many primary schools from as far south as Mungafai up to about an hour and a half drive north of Auckland so Auckland, it's just, okay. just on yep. the east coast there nice yep. little beach there become yep. quite a little busy little holiday town now it's probably mm. not a holiday town now it's getting rather it's, it's expanding quite quickly um, same sort of pressures as we have down here in Queenstown so okay. yeah um, and then um, we, after the 87, we settled in Hukurunui, which is about, it's halfway between Whangarei and uh, Kawakawa, yep. and that's where my mother's family's from. Mm-hmm. It's um, uh, Mid-Northern Territory was the rugby club it played for, and uh, it's it's probably famous for breeding all the goings. Okay, so, yeah. okay so that's the, the really early life, and yep. then um, when you sort of got into high school and that sort of stuff, where, where were you then? So, so I went to school at Kamo High in uh, Whangarei, so that's yeah. uh, just, it's the it's a northern suburb of Whangarei. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I just went to high school there, and then uh, after high school, I went down to Canterbury to start my okay. engineering degree. So I guess at high school, um, what, was, what sort of hobbies did you get up to, and uh, what were some of the sports that you might have played growing up? Oh, sports I played, so I played age group uh, soccer for Northland, and I also played um, rugby for Kamo High as well. So I played, yeah, both for both school teams and also played club rugby for uh, Mid-Northern all during my... So as, as, a, as a soccer player, rugby player, were fairly good, were you, did you sort of represent? Oh, I was middling average, <laughs> I'd say. Yeah, I did my ACL when I was 14, so that yeah. sort of cobbled a few things and yeah uh so for a year the year and a half i was i was a bit sore mm. but then i finally got the operation when i was 22 so, so for sort of yeah. eight years i played with pretty much no acl on my left leg so, okay. so you get playing until 22 okay yeah um what about can you remember what your first ever job was as a teenager as a teenager i uh i was pumping gas at the local uh, petrol station Okay. Um, on State Highway 1. So I'm guessing you were about 15 or 14? or 15, yeah, because I had my driver's licence then. It's when you could get your driver's licence at 15, pretty much. So, yeah, 15, pumping gas. And tell us about the move then, I guess, to the South Island, to Canterbury. You said you went, um, when did you move to Canterbury? So, 1996, uh, left school as a very young 17-year-old. Went to um, university at Canterbury. Um, did my First year intermediate, I call it the intermediate year of engineering. Um, during that year, I also applied to the Air Force as a trainee pilot, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, I got accepted that year. I asked to finish my um, first year 
of university out, and then in 1997, in January, I was off to basic training for the Air Force. Okay, Air Force, wow. There you go, it's 17. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Uh, so tell us about that journey for the Air Force. Yeah, so by the time I got to the Air Force, I, was, I turned 18 during my first year at uni, and yep. then, um, so in the Air Force, the first three months, oh, it's like any military training in New Zealand, the first three months is you learn how to pretty much become a janitor. Mm. and clean your shoes, iron your shirt, make everything nice and tidy, just instill a bit of discipline into you. Yep. So, yeah, uh, interesting three months. And then after you graduate from there, I did three months of officers training, which is just leadership skills, team building, um, a theory of leadership, and uh, also uh, just the organisation, how, how it works and... <laughs> And um, how how you fit in within that structure, okay. And uh, a bit of uh, military law, which was a little bit interesting. Yeah. Okay. So, did you that sort of make you travel anywhere around the world at all? No, because after it's all training. Because after that, uh, I got sent up to Fenua Pai in Auckland and did um, air crew survival course. So that's where they fatigue you. You learn all about uh, bush survival, sea survival. Um, and they fatigue you for the first five days, so you're not eating. They're physically draining you, as in you're doing you're a lot a of yeah, yeah, you're doing a lot of physical exercise. You're not eating, and then uh, for the next ten days, they just threw you out into either the bush or onto the beach, and said, "We'll see you in five days." <laughs> so, yeah, um, the last I remember the last night was solo because you went in teams, but the last night was solo, and then. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was in the Waitakere's, and it just rained and rained and rained, and then we got picked up the morning after, and found out a few had had to go to hospital with hypothermia and all sorts. We were just, yeah, I started at 80 kg by the end of those those, I think it was 20 days. I was 69. Yeah, just. Well, that's how to do it. Yeah, yeah. So it was mentally tough, but yeah, it was physically draining as well. And then after that, I uh, had a little bit of a break uh, for about a week, and then down to Ohakia for pilot training. Oh, sorry. Before that, we had to do straight after that. We did parachute training. So got taught how to jump out of a uh, out of a plane by uh, the SAS, and got thrown out of an Andover into the Waitemata Harbour, picked up by the Navy, and then off to Ohakia for pilot training. Mm. So that was a full-on first year, and sounds like um, yeah. And pilot training didn't work out for me, and so they asked if I'd wanted to stay on as a navigator, and I decided no, and for some reason decided to go to Otago and did a surveying degree. Okay, so went to Otago University, fairly well-renowned university uh, over at Dunedin, uh, lots of different disciplines, but you, engineering. So tell us about that. Oh, engineering side. So like I did my first year at engineering at Canterbury, but then I went and did surveying at Otago. Surveying. surveying at Otago, so that's just all that's just land tenure subdivisions, yep. um, defining legal boundaries. Yep. Um, a little bit of civil engineering design for subdivisions, and also uh, a little bit of land planning, and mainly land tenure and uh, Maori land tenure as well. So that was three years. I spent three years at Otago, um, and then after Otago went back to Northland and got licensed up there and then went to Australia for nearly 10 years. Oh, so you lived in Australia for 10 years yeah, as well? Yeah, so... So whereabouts in Australia did you live? 
So first job <laughs> was uh, the Northwest WA, so Port Hedland. So okay, yep. um, if anyone knows, that's one of the hottest places you could probably go to in Australia, and it's probably it was, it's closer to Indonesia than it is Perth. So yeah, uh, on the coast there, on a, at a at a it's an iron ore port, so mainly it's BHP. It's, yep. it's their main uh, export port for their iron ore that goes to China and Japan and Korea. Did you work for BHP? I got sick. I went over there as a surveyor, and then um, I got picked up by an engineering company and got, I was an embedded contractor with BHP on there. Well, at that time it was called shiploading, I don't know what it's called now, but um, yeah, looking after the projects, looking after the structural and um, civil maintenance on their wharves that mm. uh, fed the ships uh, the iron ore. Mm. So that was a pretty interesting job, and while I was there, the... Uh, the company I was working for it said, well, if you're going to work for us, you've got to be an engineer. So they put me through engineering. So I was working full time and doing engineering at the same time as well, mm-hmm. which helped quite a bit because obviously um, you'd learn something in the box, but then the next morning you're actually putting into practice. So, mm-hmm. yeah, um, it, yeah it, it did not feel like I was back doing university study again because I was actually putting it into practice as I was, mm-hmm. as I was learning it, which was great. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so so ten years in Australia, but whereabouts did anywhere else but Port Hedland? Did you? Yeah, so I did uh, did Port Hedland. Um, once I once I'd got so far with uh, looking after the jobs that BHP wanted me to do, I then got seconded to a design firm in downtown Perth for a year. So that was just more of a design consultancy. Sorry about that. You're okay. Sorry. Um, yeah, so where was I? Design Perth. consultancy, yeah. Perth, yeah. So that was mainly in designing marine and uh, resource sector structures. So my, my um, focus there, I, I went towards the structural side rather than the civil. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, yeah, so that was just one year of hot housing because I was uh, my boss was friends with the technical director, the structural director of um, the firm I was with, and mm-hmm. yeah, so it was very good. Just uh, it's probably uh, the best mentoring I've ever had for a year, just learning, learning the ins and outs of engineering, and then after that went to Gladstone. Yeah, Gladstone, okay. <laughs> of, all, of all places. Um, during in the Queensland, uh, in course. Queensland, yeah. yes. Uh, so that was during the coal seam gas um, mm-hmm. boom. So that was when Bechtel were building those three, was it three or two? I think they did two in the end, two, two uh, gas plants offshore, offshore Gladstone, and obviously did obviously a bit of coal infrastructure on the wharves there. Um, was involved with the expansion of one of the the berths at Auckland Point, and. Yeah, and by that stage, my I had a second one, a little young one came along, the second yep. one, and decided to come back to Queenstown because that's where my two boys, their family's from. So okay. he came back to Queenstown, and that was in 2012, and been here ever since. So 2012, so nearly 10 years then back yep. here. And uh, so what, I guess what ultimately sort of led you back to Queenstown, obviously family-related yep. reasons, 
Um, but obviously, growing up, did you come down to Queenstown much as a, as oh as a child? <laughs> for the... So uni days at Otago, obviously, you'd come across, come across quite a bit. Okay. Um, also came across a bit for uh, uh, surveying classes as well. Okay. So um, yeah, it was a frequent stop while I was in, mm. in Dunedin, so re- knew the place. Yeah, yeah of course. really enjoyed it. Okay, yeah. so twelve years ago, you, you came back, moved back. Obviously, young, really young family. Um, what was your first job coming into Queenstown then? I uh, got a job here where I'm still at um, my current uh, position as a lead structural engineer here at Beery Consultants. So, um, yeah, I've been a structural engineer since turning up. Okay, tell us about what you're sort of uh, a passionate, you know, what things in Queenstown, you know, I guess are your passion apart from your family. Um, what 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 is it? What about the place do you like? Obviously, you just have to look outside to really see the see the, see what really can drive your passion here. But it's also the people. Um, so I got involved uh, with the community association. I I think that's come back from Air Force days. That service side of things. I really enjoy connecting with people, um, and also coach junior rugby. So I've coached my boy since under fives. He's under 14s now, so wow. I've done every year. Um, but that is a hell of a lot of fun. I really enjoy that. That's the best stress relief. Mm. Going back to under fives, that's hurting cats, so that can be a bit frustrating, but it's still yeah. it's very rewarding. Yeah, I yeah. really enjoy that. Yeah. yeah, you can obviously see more development over the years if you're doing a coach. Oh, yeah, and then every time you go up, you think to yourself you could never go back. But, yes, I've had, I've got, in this team, I've got... Three kids I've had since they were five. So and just so nearly ten years. Ten years. Old, yeah, yeah, I'm just seeing how they've developed and yeah. grown into the young men that they are starting to become. Yeah, it's uh, quite. It's, it's really rewarding. Mm. So tell us about I guess being first involved uh, with the. How did you sort of first get involved with with the council and and obviously being a councillor? Okay, so when I got back, I uh, toddled along to a. Uh, Franklin Community Association meeting yep. at the, I think it was at the Franklin Firehouse there, and yeah, that just sort of got me hooked, a little bit interested in how things worked and um, how to get things done in a uh, local community, local government sense, and obviously I had a background in planning, land development and uh, engineering, so I had, I felt I had something to offer, and then I think I was only there for two years, and Lo and behold, I got handed the chairmanship, and so I was the chair for two years, and that's when the airport decided to want to expand the boundaries, and here, little old Frankton was probably the the most affected suburb of Queenstown, or area of Queenstown, so that was an interesting time. Um, We put together a public meeting, 300 people turned up, pretty much filled the hall at uh, at uh, Remarkables Primary School and just aired out the issues. Um, it was hard as a chair because you had to stay neutral yeah. um, just so you could get the uh, information out and let people make their, up their own minds. And the feedback we were getting was pretty negative to the air noise boundaries. But then that, uh, then that debate shifted to a discussion about growth and uh, tourism and tourists. So... Yep. Um, through that, met a lot of interesting and different people. Got asked to put my name forward for uh, the board of Destination Queenstown, 
as well. So I put my name forward, got elected onto that board, and I'm into my fourth, board, yeah, yeah. fourth year now. And then uh, come local body elections back in 2019 came up, I got asked by a few people to stand, and I wasn't... Uh, I was toying with the idea, but I hadn't made like any firm de decision either way, and then um, when I got asked, it sort of tipped me over to to do it so got on board and then yes an interesting little campaign for, for 2019 and ended up drawing of all things so, so that, uh, I mean obviously there's a bit of a story behind a draw I mean how many votes were were cast and and how many did, you know what, what were the totals and all that sort of stuff I think both AJ and myself were two Two thousand two hundred or something around that number, yeah. um, but it, it was a seesaw. Like the original, the original number, like the preliminary number. I think I was seven votes ahead. And then, as the special votes came in, five, three, two, yep. and then I was uh, one behind, and yep. that was that was it. And all during that time. We were both talking to each other over the, over the phone, saying, "Oh well, what are you going to do if you're below, uh, behind? Either one's behind each other." And we both came to the conclusion we'd go for a recount either way. Yeah. So I was the one that was one behind, so I put in the recount application. The the, uh, the court agreed, yep. and yeah, it's a. I look back; it's a very silly way to decide something like that. It, for society to think that uh, to determine a drawn local body um, representative like that, I, I don't think. It, it, yeah, it's. What, what do you think the solution would be? I'm not too sure. I think it. There should be an automatic recount. I think they've already come across, uh, already put in place. There's an automatic recount when it's within a certain amount now. Yeah. But yeah, when it's a draw. Obviously, you've got to break the tie somehow, or you look at you share the position. I don't know. I don't know where. Can't even if that, that, I don't even know if they can make that work. No. Um, or you have a runoff. I don't know. But then, who pays for that? So, it's it's a tough one. But to come down to the worm of which way mm. a coin <laughs> lands, I, mm. I, it's. I know the internal feelings I was having during that time. It wasn't it wasn't pleasant, and I'm pretty sure that um, uh, AJ had the had the same feelings because it was it was not a put it this way. It's not an experience I'd love to go through again. Yeah, okay, yeah. but yeah, obviously you got you got through. Yeah. Uh, however, that happened with it was it a coin flip then? Yeah, it was a coin toss. So the judge, oh, the court determined that. I would have heads. My phone had tails. It had to be a two-dollar coin of New Zealand legal tender, yes. and it had to be the coin toss had to occur at a certain time at a certain place. Mm. So all the decision making was taken away from us. Like we didn't call. It, but mm. it was the it was the court's decision. Mm. So it was pretty well <laughs> directed in the papers. So going back, I mean, I'm not going to reflect on that yeah. too much longer, but going back to that, obviously the same number of votes, so pretty much equal preference, really, mm. as far as people voting. 
So what what do you think made him a good candidate as well, a, a, a candidate that was competitive to you? Uh, we had a lot of similarities, as in uh, our technical expertise. Um, I think we'd both... I think we just appeal to the same people. That's as uh, AJ put it. Our Venn diagrams crossed quite, yeah, okay. quite considerably. Yep. Yeah. So that was his. Yeah, his strengths were similar to mine, mm. and vice versa. We obviously were, were different people, but yes, just had a similar type background. So, look, talking about this particular election coming up and and your strengths, uh, what do you think? What do you think your? I guess the main things that you bring to the table with your experience our experience is the main driver because um as i've pointed out we've probably only got about three or four now um sitting councillors that will probably restand out of 11 this this time uh new mayor no matter what happens yep um so obviously you'd probably want a, a an experienced hand on the tiller Considering there'll be some, uh, there'll be an experienced uh, council table. Mm-hmm. Um, also, technical ability with uh, infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I bring that to the table, obviously. And during my BHP times, like my budgets were pretty big. Uh, we're large, very large, like tens and tens of millions. So bigger than the council. Obviously. Yeah. Uh, the project that I was on, yeah, what we what we spent in a year was what we plan to spend in 10 years sort of thing yeah. so um and that's what <coughs> concerns me probably most on the operational side is our discipline around estimating and scoping projects i think that can be improved um a lot more than what it is now um mm. i think our feasibility and our thinking for and why and how a project is delivered needs a little bit of a brush up um, and a little bit more intellectual heft on estimating um, that but the main driver for me to run is that I want to see us focus more on social infrastructure so in the last 10 years here I've seen obviously with my sporting background with the kids the kids not getting the opportunities they have the fields aren't getting as great the pressure on QEC and over in Wanaka as well with the recreation ground not being um, not serving the community as it should we've got a huge arts community here that have don't have the facilities to um, express their their talent um, Tiaramia over in Franklin here is a great step but like yeah, to really, yeah, 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 I'd really like to see that um, push on, and not just here, over in Wanaka as well. Mm. So, we've had a real focus on that hard infrastructure, pipes in the ground, roads, and we're seeing that now. I don't know, should have got shares in a uh, road cone company, but um, what I like to see is a real focus on those. Th- th- those are the things that bind a community together mm. and I can tell you now every annual plan hearing that I've been to in the last three years mm. no one's asking for more pipes on the ground they're asking for these facilities especially the smaller ones. So there's a real need there in the community I feel and that's the focus I want to bring. <clears throat> I mean obviously what, what, is, what, how do you solve any, any particular, there's obviously going to be in any town that grows there's always a traffic problem at some point. I mean, what what do you think about the traffic situation here in Queensland? Is is it really just a 
peak hour thing, do you think, or do you think it is it something that you're looking at that's working working out ways to solve it? Well, once uh, all the Australian flights are re-established, there's always that crazy hour when yeah. you get the Trans Tasman come in from three to five. Yeah, yeah. Um, can we solve that? Well, I think we can if we can give the if there's different options to get from uh, from the airport into town. Um, I, my view is it's going to be a hard road. I, excuse the pun, but mm. I the investment has to come not just from QLDC because we've got such a small ratepayer base to serve such a large um, visitor yep. um, base. It has to come from central, and it has, to, and we have to have um, partnership, a stronger partnership in more delivery from the regional council as well with regards to public transport and actually providing a service people want. Cost is not an issue at the moment, like it's a dollar now. So you think people... You, well, you wonder why that's so cheap. Yeah, but, you, but still people aren't flooding to jump on the bus. It's mm. because the service provided is not is not um, meeting the needs of, the, of the, the people that we want to actually get on the bus. So when... I've said this over the last three years, an express bus from Lake Hayes to Queenstown is an express bus. It does not stop. It just goes from Lake Hayes to Queenstown. Yeah. When I lived in Perth, there was express buses from different suburbs into the centre of town. Yeah. They just went from A to B. They did yeah. not stop. I'd say if we could just do that, with, hopefully with the NZ Up program, with the little bus lanes that will get them through the traffic a little bit quicker, Hopefully that service will, uh, people will see that that service is a quicker way to get mm. into town. But it's yeah, it's one of those burrs in the backside, let's say, about having a bus having to stop at Frankton when uh, in the mornings when everyone wants just to get to work, just yeah. get them to work. Yeah. yeah, they don't want to be hanging around, sitting in traffic or waiting at a bus stop. Yeah. It's. Um, yeah, I think it's just better service delivery and more investment in uh, other modes. But again, if people want to use their cars, they're going to still use their cars. Yeah, it seems that way. Yeah, it seems that way. But at the moment, there's no option for them not to use their car, and that's that's the, that's the that's the problem that we probably have to solve yeah, a little bit definitely. more. Just give them the option. Definitely needs yeah. needs something there. Um, I guess since you've been back. For the last decade, uh, I guess who are the most inf influential people in town here for you uh, that you sort of look up to as far as their um, expertise and direction when it comes to you know helping helping your sort of mindset with this particular being a councillor and doing what you do and then obviously going for mayor. Well, that's a tough one. I haven't actually. Well, I talked to a range of different people, but obviously the late Sion Edgar. Edgar. Yep. Yeah. Yep. He was. He um, had some good conversations with him when I was lucky enough to have the chance. Okay. Um, There's an interesting fact, he actually he capped me at Otago. Um, obviously... When, the, when you graduated? When I graduated, okay. yeah, yeah. yeah, was, wow. yeah um, the last three years, obviously, uh, Jim, I have been astounded with the patience and the dedication he's given to this community mm. especially through COVID yep. um, he did a lot of work to get this to 
to help the most needy during that first lockdown, mm. I, I don't think that's recognised highly enough. That that and the way led council through those for that first lockdown. That we got emails and a rundown of some of the stories that was happening, and some of them was they were truly heartbreaking. You couldn't not. Yeah, it was it, so. To see leadership in that way, um, just not complaining, just getting on with it and doing the job, that that was quite inspiring. Um, there's many people, business people I, I look up to or have dealings with, um, the CE of Queenstown, Queenstown Resort College, um, my colleagues on the DQ board, they all have different strengths in the way um, they approach things. And then there's just... Um, the day-to-day, like the, the volunteers, the mums that just get their kids to school, their dads that just get their kids to school, go to work, come home, and just, they just get on with it. I just, that, especially during the last two years, it's, you can't, you can't underestimate the, the mental strength that some people have had just to get through, get through that. And it's been tough. Mm. Do you think that the, I mean, when you look at, that it's been a patient approach from you know from QLDC when it comes to the pandemic and the way as you mm. describe with Jim but from a I guess from a national point of view they've, they've been sort of more I guess action focused when it comes to um, trying to bloody lock us down and trying to put all these different mandates and uh, and uh, that sort of thing I mean tell us about what you think about uh, how the I guess New Zealand New Zealand government have sort of handled the pandemic overall Oh, you get to put it in perspective. They were, we were last off the, as the countries go, we were last, so we could see what was happening overseas. Yeah, yeah definitely. But, and they were making decisions with the information they had available at the time. So you you got to give them a little bit of slack. But, um, I think by the time, the Auckland lockdown happened, I think, the mental fatigue and the mental. I just think everyone was just over it yeah. and they just wanted to get on with, with life and I think that's why there's a fair bit of backlash towards this government now is mm. because I don't think they read the room <laughs> to tell you the truth. Everyone could see that there was light at the end of the tunnel but it just that light just kept getting shifted further and further away and I think, and I know a few people that were in that lockdown and they were getting frustrated because they just... They, there was no tangible end to it, mm. and that was tough mentally, I think. And Definitely. Uh, very tough mentally for some people. So, um, And then, obviously, with Auckland shut down, what is it? I'd say it's two-thirds of our economy. Mm. It's it's um, had quite an effect, obviously, down here. And, for sure. And when you talk to the same tourism operators in Rotorua, what? what do you mean the Aucklanders can't drive to us anymore? So it it had a it had a large effect on not just Auckland but all around the country. Mm. So going forward, what do you what do you see for Queen uh, <coughs> Queenstown over the next ten years as far as change? What if you're you know let's say you, you're lucky enough to become the the mayor? Um, what do you see changing in Queenstown that's going to be I guess um, significant? So there's change coming whether we 
like it or not. So we've got three reforms before us at the moment. So we've got three waters reforms, the local government reforms, and the national planning uh, reforms. So all those are going through central government now. Pretty much, I just read the brief the other day, we are looking at second readings for two of those come during election time. Mm -hmm. So whoever stands and gets in has to be looking forward and strategically planning for those events because you can't look back because you've got to hit the ground running mm. and uh, drive the best outcomes for the district based on those reforms. So in 10 years, I could see QLDC, the district itself, not looking like it is at the moment. I mm. could see Cromwell being part of what... I don't know if we call QLDC, but it'll be part of Wanaka, Queenstown yeah. and the rest of us. Um, more regionalised planning, because that's where it's heading. Mm -hmm. So whether um, the planners still stay in Queenstown or they get sucked into Dunedin, that, that's a bit concerning because mm -hmm. we have different aspirations here. We've got 80% yeah. in outstanding natural landscape. It's a different... Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a different um, regime of uh, outcomes that we want here than rather than uh, Dunedin or anywhere else in Otago. So, yeah, there's there's those challenges, but um, we gr we will grow. We can't stop people coming. Um, again, just look outside. Mm. It's a great place to live. Mm. Um, so there will be pressures on uh, infrastructure. Uh, obviously transport, but there will also be demands on that social cohesion. So providing space and opportunities for the communities that mm. we have to, to grow and thrive. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, what, and talking about change, do you see tourism changing over the next decade? Yeah, so being on the board of DQ, <laughs> again, I'll come back to that. In the middle of uh, COVID, we sat around... Uh, talking about where we could go through from here and then we went down the regenerative tourism path. So for the last two years, we've been, 80 months, two years, we've been uh, formulating a plan with Lake Wanaka Tourism. So hopefully that'll come, get all approved by July, end of July. So I see that tourism will go down a path where we, where the tourist the expectation of the tourist is to have the same values as the host community mm -hmm. and that they that a tourist actually enhances the environment, mm. makes the community a better yep. place to, uh, to be a part of. So yep. it and it provides a uplifting experience for the tourist, obviously, because yeah. it's those intangible social community mm. type. Because as you travel, you, you, yes, you go to see the sites, but you also want to meet the people and be part of their culture so I think if we improve that side of things and um, yeah look at having a tourist be involved with the community and improve the place that they come and visit I think that's the main focus now I think we won't see the growth that we saw in 2019 2017 around that area we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll get to that peak but I think the growth line will curve off Will, will flatten out because uh, climate change obviously is front and centre and um, a values-based tourist. So mm. um, I can don't see the growth being as, as high as what it was.
Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I guess um, going back to the campaign and, and getting, you know, obviously I think you're the last per, you are the last person out of the three candidates to to say that you were mm-hmm. um, running, but you may have had an inkling, you know, long before that. Uh, when did you first of all? When did you know that you wanted to run this time for mayor? So I started thinking about it middle of last year. Okay. Um, and then come Christmas, obviously, it was sit down with the kids and the partner and talk mm. that through and make sure they're okay with it. And mm. then sounded out a few people, obviously, mm. um, and got the usual, do you really want to do this? And I said, yep, I definitely want to do this. And mm. by the time New Year's came around, I had... I was pretty determined and pretty had my heart and head set on wanting to do this. Yeah. Um, and I think I had, I had the capability, obviously, I had the leadership skills to do it and have the passion to really, really drive this district to a yeah. better place. Yeah. yeah, excellent. So getting it out there and letting the, you know, the general people around Queenstown Lakes know about who you are and your background, how do you sort of go about promoting yourself? How do you get people to know who you are? Yeah, that's the tough one. Being an engineer, it's usually sit in an office and do math all day, and I'll be quite happy. But um, yeah, putting your head over the parapet, I'll, I'll admit, slightly outside my comfort zone. But um, yeah, it's just a matter of getting out there and actually meeting and talking to people, uh, presenting what I've done yep. for the last 10 years for this community, my involvement in it, and the uh, ideas I have. So I'm looking forward to it. I got, uh, can, the candidate uh, nominations open on the 15th of July, and that's pretty much when the campaign really starts to kick into uh, kick into gear. So mm. really looking forward to that. Really, okay, yeah. so that's, there is a date then, and then yeah. it sort of goes goes on to another tangent. Yeah. Really, so this mm. is just all pre pre. Yeah, it's the uh, yeah the pre dance before the the pre dance before the dance sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, so once. Uh, July, August, September is the um, when the uh, the meat hits the grinder, I suppose. That's, mm. that's one way of putting it. Yeah. Okay. So um, I'm just trying to think. Now, probably won't think too far ahead, but after, uh, I mean, do you see? Do you ever look forward to what you might be doing in retirement? Or I'm only forty-four, Tim. Oh, I no, haven't really thought of it. Me, yeah. um, no, I. I have not looked. No, I'm still enjoying my working career. Uh, I'll get get the kids out of the house before I start thinking about about retirement. Yeah. 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 No, as long as I've put enough away. Is this a a sort of area you could retire at? I mean, in Queenstown, this area, do you think you see yourself being here for the rest? I know I'm lucky enough to have a house, so that obviously helps. Yeah. So... Yes, so I've got roots here. It just depends on where the kids head off to, whether yeah. they want to come back or not. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. it's always, but yeah, I could see myself staying. Easy. Yeah. Mm. I guess anything sort of final, we might wrap this up. I might let you get on with your busy week. Um, <laughs> but uh, anything final that you wanted to say to, the, to listeners of the podcast or uh, anything that, that uh, you think is important? Yeah, just uh, on the reality side and the direction council's going, there has to be a real high-level strategic overview of where we're heading, especially with the three reforms coming our way. It's going to dramatically change 
how a local government council works mm. and if whoever's in charge is not on the ball there and not thinking ahead and not um, considering these reforms the district will be worse off we've got to make sure we get the best outcomes out of these reforms for this district and uh, yeah that's that's one of the main focuses day one if I'm elected that's my main focus mm. yeah. okay that's All been good been uh, great to have you on the podcast I'll get this and I'll send you a copy and uh, share it around to to all your uh, network of, of thanks Tim uh, it's been a pleasure thank you very much uh, that's been uh, from the resort podcast episode 31 with Glenn Lewis um, thanks very much Glenn that's right thank you Tim